you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10, we'll start in verse 11 and read down to verse 13. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word that gives us wisdom and conviction and hope and peace. And we pray that as we study your word uh, for these next few minutes and really for the rest of our time together today, we pray that it would fill us and change us and make us more what we ought to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You show up for work tomorrow and your boss asks you to lie to a client. What do you do? Your girlfriend or boyfriend initiates a sexually explicit conversation and wants you to engage in that. What do you do? A friend of yours has a really big life win. Meanwhile, you've been struggling and it's a little tough to be very happy for this person for the good that's happening for them while you're in trouble. What do you do? Your coworkers are going out after work to a club for drinks and dancing and all the other related activities in such an evening. They ask you to come. What do you do? Some people at church are all standing around, not a lot, just a few in a little corner, huddled up, talking bad about somebody else in the church. What do you do? You're out with some friends, and they start griping about their spouses, and it's your turn. What do you do? Speaking of spouses, back home, your spouse forgot to come through on something really important you had asked them to do again. What do you do? First Corinthians chapter 10, this text that we just read for us, teaches us two important things. One is, everyone faces temptation. Everyone. Not everybody has the same exact temptation, but everyone faces temptation. And they're largely similar. Do you notice in the text, he doesn't say, I know your temptations are hard and nobody's ever been through this in all of human history. It says there's no temptation that you're facing that someone else hasn't faced. And, and everyone's, oh, my, okay, yours may be not precisely the same, but it's the same thing at the end of the day. There's the same core temptations, the same core challenges that we face. So whenever I face those temptations, that uh, shouldn't be surprising to me, nor should that be an excuse for me to give in. I need to understand that everyone is tempted in largely the same ways. There's also something else that's really important in this text. Do you see in verse 13? When you think about all those temptations that you faced in the last week, maybe some of which you failed, maybe some of those you succeeded, and you think ahead to other temptations you will face in the future, some of which you may think you'll fail, others you might think you could succeed. Notice what this text says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. God is faithful and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. 
but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Do you notice two times in this verse he says, whenever you face temptation, God will make it so that you will be able to overcome. Temptation is ever-present. I mean, from nearly the very beginning of human history all the way through. That's why verse 11, by the way, this is, we're jumping into the middle of a context where the Apostle Paul has been telling his, his readers, hey, don't be like these guys who did this bad thing. Don't be like those guys who did that bad thing. Don't do this. Don't do that. And in verse 11, he says, all the things that are written in Scripture are for our instruction so that we won't fall into the same thing, so that we can learn lessons from what God has recorded all throughout Scripture so that we can overcome temptation. Because you all know that if we give in to temptation and sin, that is the path to destruction. That was true at the garden, at the tree, whenever Eve and Adam gave in. It's been true all throughout history. The wages of sin, as the scripture says, truly is death. And so we've got to learn to fight temptation. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to give you six rules for fighting temptation. Uh, And this is maybe a little bit different. We're not going to stay in just one text. We're actually going to jump through a bunch of texts. I really, really want you to turn to all of them. And uh, if you need to switch your digital Bible to alphabetical so that you can find the books, that's okay. Don't feel bad about that. But I think a lot of you probably know some of these passages. You can find your way around. I'm going to try to pause as we go to different passages because I want you to look at these because the purpose of going through these scriptures is not just to fill some time, but hopefully it's to equip all of us so that when we go out there and we're actually facing temptation, you have something you can go back to. So um, I'm going to actually, uh, Nelson, if you don't mind, just making sure somebody has something to write with if you want. Uh, in your worship guide, in one, inside the flap, uh, there's actually kind of a little fill-in-the-blank thing if you want to write that down and take notes. Or you can save that for later and test yourself, see if you remember the message that we're going to consider here for the next few minutes. Jot down these passages, take notes, or if you have a digital Bible, highlight these passages because I think they will help you. They help me, and I hope they'll help you to be able to... Um, to be able to navigate temptation in a more healthy way. Um, and Nelson, did you make sure? I'm just piling you up. I'm sorry. You might need one. There we go. Um, all right. Everybody feel good? Here we go. Turn back to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. I'll just tell you, the book of Genesis is actually mostly stories of people giving in to temptation. And it doesn't give us very many rules for overcoming or fighting temptation. Uh, it just shows what some bad examples, right? But in Genesis 39, there's a story of a young man who resisted temptation, and he helps us to understand how we can do the same. Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, Big dramatic story with that. But anyway, he's in slavery in the land of Egypt. He's a young man. The text says early in chapter 39 that he was handsome. He was successful. The Lord was with him. He was wise. He was all the things that you would... He was very desirable, is the bottom line, right? Uh, His profile online looked really good. Lots of people were interested in him online. And uh, so Joseph is there, and the wife of his master, Potiphar, noticed him. And she came on to him. And I want you to notice in the text, beginning in verse 7 of Genesis 39. Genesis 39, verse 7, start reading. It says, It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. Now, time out for just a second, by the way. Just note that this guy refused something that certainly would have been difficult to refuse. At least we would imagine. I'll say, maybe Mrs. Potiphar was washed, and maybe he was, like, not interested. That may have been it. But that's not what he says, right? And actually, you would assume this is a powerful woman. She's married to a powerful man. She probably had all the nice things. You would assume that a powerful man like Potiphar, who's not really interested in God's standards, 
probably just found the most desirable wife that he could find and had her, right? And here's this powerful woman saying, lie with me. Dad's not around. God let me get sold into slavery. Why not? I'm young. I'll be good later. But Joseph didn't do that. He resisted. Whenever you face temptation like that, you can resist too. Listen to what, how, what was in Joseph's heart and on his mind as he, uh, as he did this. He said, Behold, with me, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Potiphar had given Joseph full reign over the house. He was kind of the, the master and commander of all household matters. He doesn't hold anything. He's put all that he owns in my charge. And there's no one greater in the house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. But then listen here to the real reason why Joseph... And he gives a lot of reasons, right? That would be, my master's been good to me. I don't want to do him dirty like that. You are his wife. You're not mine. That's, that'd be, that's just... No, that's wrong. But listen to the real reason why I was wrong to Joseph. Verse 9. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph could have said, you know, my dad didn't raise me like this. Actually, his dad was kind of not so great, so maybe he did. But, but let's just say he could have said, my dad didn't raise me like this, or my mom didn't raise me like this. I'm not that kind of person. Or, you know, I just I don't want to take the risk. What if somebody catches us? I got a nice gig here. I don't want to lose that. And it's not just the other reasons. Like, I would be betraying my master. He's kind of my friend at this point. He's entrusted me so much. He's empowered me in a way that's kind of radical in this culture and in this society. I, none of those reasons were the real reason. The real reason was Joseph said, I would be sinning against God. Let me show you another example of somebody who had a very similar mentality. Job 31. Job chapter 31. You go to the middle of your Bible, find Psalms and Proverbs, and Job is a few pages earlier. you got Job, then Psalms, then Proverbs. Job 31. Job was a man who was suffering greatly. Uh, he was being afflicted by Satan as a test. Great story there. You can read the beginning of Job to catch the whole thing. But Job's friends thought, you're in trouble because you've been bad. God is punishing you, which when you read the first couple of chapters, it's not what's happening. But all his friends thought, God's punishing you. You've done something wrong. So a lot of the book of Job is them wrestling with these philosophical questions. And a lot of it is Job saying, no, I haven't. Look, trust me, I know. Job 31 in particular is Job laying out his case of saying, here's the kind of man I am. I don't commit sins that I should be getting punished for like this, okay? Listen to what Job says beginning in verse 1 of Job 31. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a young virgin? The implication being looking on with lust or intent to, to have a woman that's not his wife, right? Verse 2, and he says, And what is the portion of God from above or the heritage of the Almighty from on high? Is it not calamity on the unjust and disaster of those who work iniquity? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps. All right, verse 1, Job says, I don't commit sexual sin. I'm not looking around, lusting after young women, trying to take someone who doesn't belong to me. I'm not doing that. Well, why not, Job? Because of God. He knows all my ways. He numbers all my steps. And if I were to sin against Him, I know He would punish me in a devastating sort of way. Here's rule number one for fighting temptation. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Both Joseph and Job give us a model of whenever you're facing temptation, if you say to yourself, how could I do this evil and sin against God? God knows my ways. God knows my steps. And so I'm not going to do this bad thing that I'm tempted to do. There's a part of me that wants to do it. But I'm going to resist because I'm remembering the Lord. Whenever you remember the Lord, a lot of things happen. Whenever you remember the Lord, His holiness will convict you. I can't do this great evil and sin against the good God who's created all things in me and His image. His grace will comfort you. 
Because you say, hey, I may want to give in to this, but I'm not going to let it because he's been so good to me. That will strengthen you in your resolve against temptation. His power will embolden you. Whenever you think, I'm so weak, I just, I'm going to give in. Like I know I have so many times before, this is my life. Not if you remember the Lord and you remember the power that he has to empower you to overcome your temptation. Remember what the text said. He will not tempt you beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, provide you a way of escape so that you will be able, powerful enough to endure. His truth will guide you. Well, is it really that wrong? I don't know. Everybody thinks it's fine. Everybody's going. Everybody's doing it. No, if I remember the Lord, I say, that's wrong. I'm not going to do it. It doesn't matter if the whole world says it's okay. If I remember the Lord, I'm not going to give in because His truth will guide you. And more than anything, His love will anchor you in saying, how could I do this against the one who loved me and gave himself for me? Whenever you're facing temptation, remember the Lord. Now you're saying, okay, that's great. Uh, Duh, I already knew that. Like if I would always remember Jesus, I'd never give in to any sin whenever I'm angry or whenever I'm tempted to lust or whenever I become prideful, whenever I want to lie. I'm not thinking about the Lord. How do I even do that on a practical way? Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. I want you to listen to what the Scripture says about how you can, in a practical way, ensure that you remember the Lord in those moments, right? Whenever you're right here, my guess is most of you have not been tempted to sin very much in the past 20 or 25 minutes. Maybe you have. And that can still happen, right? Satan can use moments like this for whatever reason. But in general, this is probably a pretty safe space uh, to guard against temptation. That's because you're locked in on God's stuff. You've been remembering the Lord from pretty much the moment you walked in this room. All right, but what about whenever you go out there and whenever you're really dealing with this? What are the things that will help you to keep the Lord in your mind and in your heart to resist temptation? Psalm 119, verse 9. Listen to what the psalmist says. How can a young man keep his way pure? How could somebody like Joseph or an older man like Job or anybody keep their way pure from sin by keeping it or some translations say guarding it or protecting it, or preserving it. That's the idea of keeping. I'm going to guard it according to your word. With all my heart, I've sought you. You're my remembrance. You're the thing I think about. You're what I care about. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word, I have, I love this line, your word I have treasured in my heart. Well, why? Why is God's word something that you keep locked up in your mind and in your heart all the time. You're meditating on it. You think about it when you're on the train and when you walk down the street and when you're at work. I'm not saying you have an open Bible reading all the time, but it's flowing through your brain. Little ideas of Scripture and truths of God. It's in your heart. Why, the psalmist? That I may not sin against you. In other words, the psalmist says one of the biggest ways to remember the Lord to overcome sin is to treasure up the Word of God in your heart. To always be meditating on his truths and his ways and his thoughts. I'll give you a second practical thing that we need to make sure that we're doing is staying constant in prayer. Right? Uh, you already knew that before I would say it, didn't you? If I had said that, you guys would know. We talk about this all the time because this is how we overcome sin. Remember whenever Jesus taught his disciples, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, we'll pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. 
That's the prayer. Actually, in Luke 11, that's where the prayer ends. Matthew's the time whenever Jesus gave those same recommendations in Matthew 6. He has a little extra. But in Luke's account, it ends with, lead us not into temptation. And then you remember in the garden, whenever Jesus was about to go to the cross, and everybody was about to attack the disciples, and most of all attack Jesus. And there the disciples were, and Jesus said, pray so that you may not enter into temptation. If you are giving into temptation on a regular basis, I would say, I'm going to say definitively, the reason is because you're not remembering the Lord. The Lord is not the guiding light in those moments. Now, He may be in general. I'm not saying that you don't love Him at all or whatever. I'm telling you is He's not the thing in your heart and in your mind and in your life if you're giving into temptations regularly. And if you're giving into those temptations regularly, not remembering the Lord, it's almost certainly because one of two things. Either you're not treasuring His Word in your heart, or you're not staying constant in prayer. Adopt these disciplines in your life on a daily basis, and the more the better that you can, so that you'll remember the Lord and be able to fight temptation. That's rule number one. That's the one we're spending the most time on. Rule number two. Rule number two for fighting temptation is avoid tempting situations. Avoid tempting situations. I'm going to give the caveat as much as possible. Avoid tempting situations as much as possible. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4. Uh, let's read a couple of verses here. Start in verse 14. Yeah, 14. Proverbs 4, verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Notice here this father, the proverb writer, as he speaks to his son, sons. He doesn't say, don't do the evil stuff and don't do the bad things. That's kind of taken for granted. He assumes we know we're not supposed to do that. But his counsel is, don't go in that pathway. Don't hang around that. Don't make yourself available to tempting things or bad things. And isn't this, by the way, even people who don't even believe in God at all give this kind of counsel. You know, Don't hang around the crowd that's going to lead you into doing some bad stuff. Don't be at certain places at certain times with certain people because you know that's only going to go somewhere bad. Avoid tempting situations as much as possible. And I think you and I can say a lot of times our biggest problem is we allow ourselves to be in situations that lead us into temptation. We pray, Jesus, lead me not into temptation, and then we go and we walk right in the path of temptation. Listen, uh, Proverbs 7 is a great sort of play-by-play of this. Proverbs 7 tells a story of a young man. And if you look in verse uh, 7 of Proverbs 7, it says, And I saw among the naive, or the simple, and I discerned among the youths a man, a young man lacking sense. By the way, rule number two is also the don't be a dummy rule, okay? Besides avoid tempting situations. And here's the description of what happens. You can read the entirety of the text later. We're going to read a couple verses at the end if you want to turn to verse 24. But here's here's the story that Solomon tells. This young man, he went to her corner, meaning he knew what kind of woman was there. And as he went to her corner, he made sure to go in the evening at twilight about to be that time. And as he stood there near her corner, she met him. And he didn't walk away from her. And as she met him, he knew. He knew her anyways, presumably. But certainly knew her because she had the attire of a prostitute. 
And when she met him, she spoke bold words to him. And she kissed him right on the mouth. Just met him, bam, kissed him. And he didn't run away. He didn't pull back. He didn't resist. He just stood there. And then she told him a beautiful story of what would happen. She said, come, I've prepared my chamber with the nicest of fabrics and the most beautiful of oils are ready for us and everything is going to be smelling good and it's beautiful and don't worry, my husband, he's gone for a long time. He took a bag of money with him so you know it's going to be a long time. So you come in and it said like a, like a ox, like a dumb animal, this simple man didn't avoid the tempting situation. He went right in with the woman. And it said in the end, the arrow pierced through his liver. It killed him. Because he didn't avoid the tempting situation. If he had stayed away, if he had been back at home with his door locked, or if he had stayed in the middle of the day where people would see him and say, hey, what are you doing, man? Or if he had just stayed away from our corner entirely, none of this would have happened. He didn't avoid the tempting situation. I want you to think about sometime recently where you really messed up. You really, really did something bad. And if this doesn't work, then go back to another one. But I want you to think about how if you had avoided something, Maybe you would have prevented yourself from giving sin. I think about um, a friend of mine whenever I was living in Atlanta, and uh, we'll call him Leonard. That's not his name, but I'm going to call him that. Uh, Leonard had become a Christian. He had been had a lot of substance abuse problems for a long time, and uh, he was trying to serve the Lord, and that was great. He got some work. One of the members of the church, frankly, didn't need her house painted, but she wanted to help him out. So she said, hey, could you paint my house? So he said, yeah, yeah, I'll go get the stuff. I need X amount of dollars. And so she gave him X amount of dollars to be able to go and buy the supplies that he was going to need. Reasonable. Well, that night uh, he decided before he was going to go uh, buy the stuff in the morning and then go paint the house. Well, that night he was like, you know, I just really, I need some cigarettes. Bad. Okay, not, not the best thing, not a great thing, uh, but not, not the end of the world, right? But he, he goes out and he's on his way walking in some cigarettes. Well, on his way as he's walking there, uh, it starts raining. So here he is in the rain. So he gets to the place, and he's just kind of depressed because there's a lot of challenging things going on in his life. So he calls an ex-girlfriend. By the way, as you might imagine, they didn't have a very wholesome relationship. Their relationship was mostly surrounded around substance abuse and sexual immorality. That's the life they lived together. But he still had her number. By the way, tempting situation to keep a phone number in your phone. But he dialed her up, and she said, well, why don't you just come over and hang out? So he went over, and he, he told us. By the way, this whole conversation we found out after the fact of the end of the story. Um, he told us, I wasn't going over there to sleep with her. I wasn't going to do anything. I just, I just needed somebody to talk to. More on that in a second. But anyway, he goes, and he's there with her, and her boyfriend's there. Well, that's really hurtful, right? Not only was I heartbroken before, and now I've come over, but now she's got a boyfriend. And of course, they're being all, like, you know, they're being. And so he's just feeling worse and worse about himself, so he bounces. But you know what his next phone call was, right? The person who used to hook him up with the stuff that he would use. So he calls them. And he took the money that this woman, this sister in Christ had given him to do work on her home that she really didn't even need, but she was just helping out. He took that money and he gave it to his drug dealer and got some drugs. And then he took those drugs and used them. And on his way back to the house where he was, he was high as a kite at this point. And because of his drug use and a variety of other activities through his life, he suffered with bowel incontinence. And so on his way walking back, he lost control of his bowels. And there he was, standing in the rain, high as a kite, still brokenhearted, with no money, having betrayed his sister in Christ. Where did this all start? Because some people say, and we say, how did I get here? 
Are you on this plate? And I, that, I didn't make any of that up, by the way. I think I left out some details that I'm not sure that I remember. So all that stuff is true. That's real. How do you end up in a place like that? One dumb decision after the other. None of which are explicitly wrong. Was it wrong for him to walk to the store? Well, no. Was it, was it wrong for him to call up his ex-girlfriend? Technically not, I guess, maybe. Was it wrong for him to sit there while she... I don't guess so. But every one of those decisions was just dumb. And it was not avoiding temptation. It was running headlong into it. Listen what the, the proverb writer says in Proverbs 7, verses 24 and 25. He says, Now therefore, my sons, listen to me. And pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. I love that language. Do not stray. It's not that even you're intentionally going into it, but you're just not really paying attention to where you go at all. And you know, oh, look, I'm here. And then I'm doing a bad thing. And now I'm dead. Don't stray into her ways. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way of Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Avoid tempting situations as much as possible. So, whenever your boyfriend or girlfriend says, Hey, why don't we watch a movie together at my place tonight? And we'll just lay on the couch and cuddle and who knows what else. But we're not going to do anything bad. Don't be stupid. You probably will. So, avoid that situation. You know, make sure that you preserve your holiness and don't get yourself in a situation where you know you're going to give in to something that you probably shouldn't be doing or definitely shouldn't be doing. Um, whenever, if you're struggling with anxiety or anger, deactivate your social media. Stop watching cable news. I don't care which channel you're watching. If you have a problem with anxiety or anger, get off that stuff because it's not helping you. And you might say, well, it's not wrong. Of course it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. But I'm saying if it is a temptation for you, don't be dumb. Avoid that stuff if it's going to lead you into something that is wrong. Avoid tempting situations as much as possible. And you say, well, listen, like a lot of times temptation, the devil's, the devil's not dumb either. If I start getting smart and avoid these, he's going to still chase after me. That's right. That leads to rule number three. So rule number one, remember the Lord. Rule number two, avoid tempting situations as much as possible. Rule number three, flee. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, God commands, and I want to I emphasize that. He doesn't give you advice. He commands that you are to flee temptation. Oh, the story of Joseph, I'll just give you a real life example. We talked about Joseph earlier. Where that story went wasn't just he said, how could I sin against God and do this evil? And Potiphar's like, you're so right. I shouldn't have asked you to do that. Instead, she repeatedly came to him and said, well, come on, come on, day after day after day. And one day she grabbed him and she said, lie with me. And she had him and Joseph literally, not a joke, ran out of his shirt. And she had it. By the way, she used that shirt as evidence that he had tried to sexually assault her. And she had him thrown into prison. Fleeing temptation isn't always going to be very nice for your life. Okay, I just want to be clear about that. But it will allow you to escape death. And by the way, the end of the story of Joseph, he did all right. And things worked out for him. God was with him. Okay, so you can read the rest of that in the book of Genesis if you want. But here's the, here's the deal. You've got to learn to flee. Whenever you face a temptation, you may have been smart. You may be reading your Bible, treasuring up his word. You may be staying constant prayer. Lead me not in temptation. Whoop, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm not letting myself get in those tempting situations. But then the devil is like a lion. He'll hunt you down. He'll find some way to try to get you. In that moment, flee. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. 
flee immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. And your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body and flee immorality. Whenever you've got some temptation on your device to look at something, you throw it, throw it in the other room, turn it off, go for a run outside. Whenever someone's pressuring you to do something and you think, well, like I do love them, I do care about them, and you know, it's, it's not, it is a big deal. Don't do it. Flee. Run away. Get out of the car. Leave the apartment. Do whatever you got to do. Get away from that situation. Um, another instruction in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 14 is to flee idolatry. And there's a related one, I think, in our culture at least, in all cultures actually, in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11 Paul says to Timothy, he says, you flee all these things. What things? Well, just before, Paul had given a rather thorough discussion of the temptation of greed and materialism. If you are a greedy and materialistic person, the next time you're on an online shopping binge, close your computer and turn it off and go do something else. Go, to, go find somebody to give some stuff to. Flee that because materialism and greed will rot your soul out. And whatever you got to do, if you realize, you know, I'm hoarding up my money, start giving your money away and flee the temptation to give in to greed. I want you to turn to this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Paul is giving... Uh, Instruction to his pupil, his uh, preaching pupil, Timothy. And beginning back in verse 20 and 21, he says, Listen, in God's house, you need to be the kind of vessel that's useful, that's valuable to God, not corrupted by sin and wickedness and all that stuff. So, verse 22, we see yet again this instruction. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, pause for a second. Pop quiz. What is a youthful lust? What kinds of things would you say? If we had to just go around the room, everybody name a youthful lust. What would be a youthful lust? Well, some of you say sexual immorality. That's right. That is a youthful lust. Um, just like partying, right? Like getting drunk and all that kind of that's That's right. That's a youthful lust. I want you to look at the youthful lust that Paul was concerned about. Because by the way, we can make up a list, but actually the context tells us the kind of youthful lust that we should watch out for. By the way, all those are true. We already talked about those, though. I want you to listen to the youthful lust here. Verse 23. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now let me ask you again. What's the youthful lust that Paul's concerned about right here? It's not sexual immorality. It's not drunkenness. Paul is concerned about those. We already addressed that. But right here, he's worried about arguing. Senseless arguing. Selfish arguing. Being quarrelsome. Being a fighter all the time. Now let me ask you. Maybe especially those of you who aren't so youth, youthful anymore. Do you ever struggle with youthful lusts? It's tough sometimes in a world that's filled with arguing. You need to flee. The next time you're in a discussion where people are getting to fighting, and I know there's like play fighting where we're not really caring, we're just like having a debate about, you know, I don't know, 
which is better, Popeyes or Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, like that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that, all right? But I'm talking about things that people can even tend to care about. And there is a place for uh, healthy debate and, and thorough discussion of matters. I'm not saying we shouldn't deal with things, uh, certainly when it comes to Scripture, but even socially and so forth. But I'm telling you, there's a time where you're crossing the Rubicon from having a healthy discussion to help each other think more clearly to where you're just arguing and fighting. That's a youthful lust. And you need to say, I'm really sorry. I, I'm, I'm having a bad attitude here, and I need to exit this conversation. We can talk later. Do not get into quarrels. Don't get into fights. That is a youthful lust, and it's a sin. You need to flee and get away from those things. All right. Uh, rule number four. So rule number one, remember the Lord. Rule number two, avoid tempting situations. Rule number three, flee temptation. Rule number four, redirect and replace. Redirect and replace. Actually, in this very text we just read, look at verse 22 again. This is going to help us here. He doesn't just say, flee youthful lusts. All right, so somebody says, I'm going to stop watching pornography. I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to run away. Next time somebody starts gossiping, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, i got to go, and I'm going to leave. Or I'm going to stop being materialistic. I'm going to start giving a certain percentage of my money and my paycheck that I use for shop online shopping. I'm going to give it away now, right? I'm going to flee. And I'm going to avoid those. Okay, great. But sometimes we're fleeing, but we're just running with no destination in mind. And you know what will happen if you're just always running with no destination in mind? You're going to get tired. You get tired of running. Or since you're not really going anywhere, you're just going to start running around the block, and that temptation is going to keep on being there every time. And eventually, one of those times when you're tired, you're going to stop right there where you had started running, and you'll just give in all over again. This text says in verse 22, flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And by the way, there's tons of other uh, qualities that certainly we pursue. Uh, you can think about a text like Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, blah, 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 all those lists. And then he says, now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, da, da, da. The implication of the text is put all this stuff out and fill your life up with this other good stuff. Flee temptations and pursue the godly stuff. Or else you're just going to be ready to do it all again. Jesus told a story about this, a hypothetical story, where he said, you know, it's like somebody who has a house that's got a demon in it. And they cast the demon out. And they clean the house up, and it's nice, it's a nice house. But they don't put anything in it. Nobody moves in. There's no joy, there's no good stuff filling this house. There's no godly stuff. So the demon will go by one day and say, hey, House is empty. And he'll text all his friends, and then you'll show up with even more demons than before because you didn't fill it up with anything good. You've got to redirect your life away from sinful things and replace it with godly things. Let me just tell you two things you need to do. If you're looking at your life, you're like, all right, I'm trying to resist temptation, but this makes sense. I've been running. I just keep on getting tired. I keep on giving in. Well, a couple things. On a, on a big picture level, actually, let me, go, uh, let me go micro first. On a micro level, if you are uh, getting into some temptation, then it's helpful to think about, and it's a habitual thing. Say gossip is your problem, right? And that's your temptation. You're just at work, you're just talking bad about people, you know, just in your social life in general. You just enjoy, you kind of feed off talking bad about people. All right, next time a time comes up where you know, here it comes, here comes the gossip thing, and you say something good about the person. Maybe hard, by the way, in some cases. But you say, I'm going to replace this moment. It's not just I'm going to keep my mouth shut. It's 
not just I'm going to run away from the conversation. You may need to do that initially, by the way. But if you're forced into a moment where you feel that temptation coming and you can't run away, figure out something constructive to say. Figure out something good to say. By the way, that goes for all, whether it's quarrels or complaining. I mean, how many of you struggle with complaining? By the way, that's a sin. If you're a complainer, that's sinful. The Lord says don't do that. Therefore, if you do it, you're doing something Jesus said not to, which means that's a sin. Okay, if you're a complainer, then figure out how to insert something constructive, something you're grateful for, something positive. And you can do a lot of other things like that, right? Um, you know, you're about to be tempted to give into some sort of sexual sin. All right. Uh, have yourself a Bible verse that you quote, that you've treasured in your heart, that you just say that out loud. And you keep saying it out loud until either you really, really violate your conscience and you're like, man, I'm in deep trouble. More on that in just a second. Uh, or you, the temptation goes away. Find something. If you have a habitual temptation, find something godly, something positive, something constructive that you can insert into that gap in your heart and in your mind where a sin usually fills in. That's on a micro level. On a macro level, there's two things that we can do that will help us be redirected and will replace unrighteousness with righteousness. One thing is develop stronger bonds with other godly people. Notice what this text says in verse 22. Flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord in a pure heart. You're not meant to do this all by yourself. Now, by the way, when you're facing temptation, you're probably going to be doing that by yourself. Because Satan knows right now is not the big moment to tempt you. It's when you're isolated. That's when the lion pounces is when the young have drifted away from the herd or the flock. That's when it comes. But if you've been strengthened by your brothers and sisters, and I'll tell you, in our day and age, we have no excuse not to be. We have more communication capabilities than any other people group in all of human history. And so if you're refusing to utilize the ability that you have, that God has given you, to cultivate strong bonds with other Christians, you are really doing yourself a disservice, and you are ruining your uh, potential strength to resist temptation. Develop stronger bonds. By the way, I'm not saying you need to be you know, uh, intimate friends with every single Christian you know, but I'm saying you need to have at least a couple that you know you can go to whenever you're facing a temptation. And I thank God for those of you who are doing that and being able to resist your temptation. So that will redirect your life. That will replace unrighteousness with some godly stuff, strong godly relationships. But the second thing is service. Now, I don't know if you want to say, hey, what can I do in this church family? And I'm not just talking about whenever we're in this room. I'm talking about day to day. What can I do to help out? That's a way you can find opportunities for service. Maybe in your home, you can find ways to serve your roommate or your family or whomever. Uh, look around in your neighborhood. How can I serve? And if you're not finding any opportunities in any of those venues, you know all you got to do is get on the Google machine and type in volunteer, and there's going to be a long list of stuff for you to do. Go find some outlet for you to serve, because ultimately a lot of sin is us saying, let me take. Sexual immorality, greed, gossip, lying, all those things are, let me take, let me take, let me take. If you replace that with let me give in some sort of service, you're going to be much stronger to resist temptation. Redirect your life and replace evil things with good things. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Rule number five. Rule number five, it really relates to what we just got done saying, ask for help. Ask for help. Go to Romans 15. We're just going to look at two more passages here before we wrap it up. Romans 15 and verse 14. <laughs> Romans 15 and verse 14. You might say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know I should be remembering the Lord. And I know that I need to stop being a dummy. I need to avoid tempting situations. 
And when the temptation comes to me, I need to flee. I need to run away as hard and as fast as possible. And, and not just run aimlessly, but actually have a direction in my life. Redirect and replace evil with good. But honestly, it's complicated. And I don't really, this is new to me. Or I've been doing bad for so long. Or I've been making dumb decisions for so long. Or it's hard for me to get the word in my heart. It's hard for me to be as perfect. Okay, ask for help. You're not supposed to do it. You don't have to do this thing alone, nor are you supposed to. And the trick is that we understand that we are able to help one another. Listen to what the Scripture says, Romans 15 and verse 14. He says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to, and what does your Bible say there in verse 14? Instruct. Some Bibles say admonish. But I like that idea of instruct. Maybe we can say it this way. Uh, you are able to coach each other up. You know? If you're not doing so hot, and that happens sometimes, even for saints, okay? If you're struggling, if you're giving in to temptation, you're having a hard time, go ask the coach for a little direction. And the great thing is, by the power of the Spirit of God and by the wisdom He's given us in the Scripture and by the goodness of God in our lives, we're all able to do that. But not everyone's able to do that for every single thing. And not everybody's able to help every other person. And there's different reasons for that. That's okay. But you know there's someone here who probably has something to offer you in your situation. Now you might say, well, nobody's in my situation. Don't forget what the Lord has said. No temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to all human beings, much less to the people of God. So don't think that you're totally unique and nobody can understand you and nobody can help you. That's wrong. We are able to admonish each other. We are able to instruct each other. We're able to coach each other up. And we are commanded in Scripture to do that for each other. Galatians 6 and verse 1 says that you who are spiritual, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a one. Now do it with the spirit of gentleness so that you yourselves will not be tempted, but fulfill the law of Christ. Help each other whenever we're struggling, whenever we're in sin. Guide each other into paths of righteousness. Now I'll tell you what that requires is you actually saying, hey, I am caught in a transgression. I am caught in a trespass. I want to be better. There's no shame in that. The only shame that comes is when you don't ask for any help and you allow yourself to be taken far, far away from the Lord and your life is desecrated by your sin. Even then, you're not hopeless. But that's the only time where you might need to feel ashamed when you never asked for help and you've really ruined yourself. When you're standing in the rain and you're incontinence and high as a kite. That's when you may have some shame, but even that shame can lead you to repentance when you say... Please help me, y'all. That's why the scripture says in James 5 and verse 16, confess your sins one to another and browbeat each other so you feel really guilty and never do the bad thing again. That's not right. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other. By the way, it doesn't even say initially, for those of you who are ever going to have someone come to you, it doesn't say initially advise each other. We are supposed to advise each other, admonish each other, but first it says pray for one another. So that you may be healed. And, and God help me to do better about this. To be prayerful in the moment with people. To pray with them first. Rather than getting ready to say whatever I think is smart. It's probably not going to be a great idea. If I'm not looking to the Lord first. Ask for help. Last word. Fight for your life. Fight for your life. Look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Starting in verse 11. Romans 13 and verse 11. 
He's been speaking to people about a variety of things they need to do or not do or say or not say or think or not think. And in this, he, he kind of, in a way, is uh, given an interlude in his discussion. And in verse 11 of Romans 13, he says, Do this knowing what time it is. Wake up. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Did you know you're not saved yet? Even if you've been baptized into Christ, you've got your sins washed away, you've been living for the Lord, there's an ultimate salvation when the Lord returns, and that's getting closer every day. And so you better wake up and know what time it is. Verse 12, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and not in strife and jealousy, but put on Christ Jesus, the Lord, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Do you hear what Paul is calling on us to do? He's saying, wake up. It's time for war out there. You're getting attacked every day. Satan and his forces are coming at you. And if you don't put on that armor that God has given you, you will die out there. You've got to wake up. You've got to strap up. You've got to get out there and get ready to fight. That text we read at the very beginning of the lesson, 1 Corinthians 10, it doesn't say God is going to liberate you from all temptation and you'll never have to face it. No, listen, we're in enemy territory down here, y'all. And by the way, I'm talking about the enemy, Satan. I'm not talking about our neighbors. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle against principalities and powers in heavenly places that are trying constantly to capture us, to draw us away from the Lord, to lead us into sin, to destroy us, to kill us. And it's essential that we learn that God has given us the ability to endure. Not to be completely uh, uh, liberated from any temptation at all, but He's given us the power to fight. He doesn't give you armor to sit in the corner and talk about the armor and how powerful it would be. And man, if I would just be righteous and gird up my waist with truth and make sure to take up the shield of faith, I would never give into temptation. Pick it up and start fighting. And too many of us give in and we say, oh, well, you know, I'm just human. Yeah, you're human. That means you're made in the image of God. That means that you have the ability to overcome. So fight. Fight for your life. Fight to remember the Lord. I know it's hard. It's hard for me. When I'm out there and I'm being tempted, it's hard for me to remember the Lord whenever I'm tempted to get angry at somebody. But I've got to fight for that. You've got to fight to avoid tempting situations. I know the pool of gravity is just to straight into the paths of unrighteousness. But you've got to fight to walk in the path of the Lord and in His ways and in His thoughts and not in the ways of the world. And it's certainly a fight. It's a war to flee, especially when it's something that you just want to do. And you've done it so many times. It's so appealing. And you know the good thing that will come right now. You don't know what God will give you later fully. But I know this, and it's hard to flee. You've got to fight within yourself to flee. And you're going to have to fight to redirect your life and to replace evil with good. And you're certainly going to have to fight all sorts of feelings and insecurities to be able to ask one of your fellow soldiers to help. But know what time it is. The night is far spent and day is at hand. So let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Don't allow ourselves to give into temptation and to follow after the Lord. All right, last thought as a, as a word of, of comfort and direction. You might be saying, man, that all sounds good, but I've already gotten wounded too many times. I haven't put on this armor. I haven't been fighting. I haven't been removed. I haven't been doing all these things. I've broken every one of these rules a thousand times over, and actually all of us have. But our hope is not in our power. Our hope is in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so if you're sitting here and you say, man, I just don't know. Know that it's by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not so that any of us can boast. If today you're saying, I, I want to start fighting. I want to walk in paths of righteousness. I don't want to keep on. Then you let us know. Come find us after. Um, some, just grab somebody and say, I need some help to figure this out. If you've never become a Christian, we can show you what it means to repent. So that times of refreshing can come. So that you can be baptized into Christ and begin to walk this new life. That would be great. If you are a Christian... If you're somebody, you're a part of this church even, and you say, man, I've been messing up. Well, remember what the Scripture says. All of us sin from time to time. We're not supposed to, but we do. But if we confess our sins to the Lord, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And the blood of Jesus always cleanses us from unrighteousness. So just take it to Him and ask for help. Get somebody to walk with you so that you can walk in the ways of the Lord. May God bless us to overcome temptation, to fight with the power of the Spirit, and to be what the Lord wants us to be. Thank you all very much.